Well played. Hello and welcome to Well Played. I'm Nick and I'll be your host this week. From all around Australia, mainly Sydney, I'm joined by John. Hi. And Luton. Sorry. <laughs> Apparently John is experiencing some delays. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, John's been delayed uh, a couple of times, you know, already. But um, uh, I think Mainly developmentally. Really for, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got that you see, when G it, in the end, though. But, uh, yeah, I can't spell it. When I say your name, that's your cue to say, hey, it's me, John, because you're John. Okay, all right. <laughs> so, uh, so you how's your week just... been, John? I think he's talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. I think I, you know, I've managed to get that cue, at least. Uh, yeah, apart from missing cues and messing up podcasts, uh, it's been a pretty good week uh, it was uh as everyone is probably well aware not last weekend the weekend before that was rtx which i was covering for hyper wrote an article about what they had by way of indie games so yeah very interesting uh, kind of conference i only managed to catch a couple of hours off but still plenty of activity and a lot of cool stuff happening cool and what what was the highlight of the indie games for someone who may or not have read your article? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I just take it that no one else reads my articles ever, but um, basically there's a great game called, um, and you know, no one in our podcast has kids, so I think uh, everyone in our podcast would quite appreciate this. It's called Think of the Children. Uh, you play as, I guess, two surrogate parents. Uh, it's a two-player game. Uh going to be on steam basically coming out ironically enough around mother's day you have to stop kids from dying They've, you've got these very cartoony game very cartoony little kids that are running around uh on, onto the road or in a sand pit where they get drenched in quicksand or near the barbecue that explodes and you have to basically prevent them from dying while making sure it's a nice time for everyone so it's a lot of frenetic activity it's impossible to play alone which i once tried to do uh, very much like one of those titles that I look forward to actually seeing the release and how that goes because it's going to be interesting. That sounds amusing in a really morbid way. <laughs> I really think that we should do a future episode on this. It's going to be a huge, well, huge indie game. It sounds a bit of a contradiction uh, in terms of it. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah, look, I'm, I'm totally down for that. Sounds cool. <laughs> uh, how, how are you doing, Bluetooth? Uh... Yeah, I'm doing good. Um, I've been getting back into Diablo 3. I, I I managed to completely burn myself out on it last time I played it. Um, and I'm almost up to the point where I finished last time I burnt myself out. And, uh, and I still am actually motivated to play, which is nice. Um, it's just tons... Uh, it's ironic for, like, a game that is, you know, spamming spells and like the imminent threat of death around every corner and you know fighting hordes and hordes of demons i find it really mellow and relaxing <laughs> um yeah so i've been playing that and uh been trying out the Ferona beta as well what's that the oh the four honor beta yeah 
Yeah, that was three words. <laughs> I've been the <laughs> <laughs> Being, <laughs> Being Australians, we, we shorten anything down to one word that we can and lengthen anything else, so... Yeah. Uh, cool. Yes, uh, so the <laughs> Ferona Beta um, is a medieval-style sword-fighting game um, that has a few different play modes, you know, capture the flag... No, it doesn't have capture the flag. It has, like, a control the points kind of map called Dominion. Uh, it has some dueling, and uh, it has a few different character classes. Uh, it's really interesting, but... I feel like the game, uh, you know, it has like the perfect theme for my liking. It has samurai, it has vikings, it has knights, and it has sword fighting. And I'm like, all these things sound amazing. This looks like heaps of fun. And then I play the game and it's, it's, it's like, <laughs> it's something like trying to, you know, pilot a semi-trailer that's fully laden through like peak hour traffic in the middle of Sydney. <laughs> Thank you for that image, by the way. <laughs> yeah, um, I managed to play a, an earlier build of it when IGN had one of their playtest events before this version um, of the beta. Did How did you find... I mean, would you say that the controls were unwieldy, that particular way of, of controlling a character? Yeah, like that's the best way I can describe it. It's so, super non-responsive. Um... So I don't know how I feel about, like, uh, the way it sort of, it plays. Like, I like playing fast, colourful, exciting games, um, and this is anything but fast. It's still interesting, and it's really tactical in the way that I've seen some people play. Um, but, yeah, originally I was like, I'm all in for this, it sounds great, I'll, like, pre-order and everything, and then I tried the beta, I'm like, uh, I might just hold off. <laughs> so, Yeah. I guess that's a little yeah. bit disappointing. <laughs> I mean, the guy that uh, is one of the lead designers was at this IGN thing he was, uh, was mentioning, and he he had an idea behind it whereby he'd try to replicate a little bit of how you would actually do these kind of motions with the swords and things. Uh, it was an interesting idea. I, yeah, I, I too am not entirely sold on on how it plays, but yeah, yeah. it'd be interesting to see how it's received. Yeah. I don't know what I, well, well, I don't know what I wanted to see in the game, because um, I like the way that they've done like the whole, you know, guard breaking and stuff like that. It's almost like playing a third person Street Fighter style thing, where yep. you're like this yep. like constant threat of being grabbed and counters to certain moves and stuff like that. And that's what the high end end play ends up kind of being. But um, it's like for someone picking it up fresh, it's really kind of clunky and awkward to play is the best way I can describe it. Yeah, definitely. Cool. And, I mean, yeah, one of those games that probably probably have to come to gra grabs uh, with the, the systems that it has. But... Yeah. And it's like, I could I could spend a whole bunch of time doing that, or I could keep playing Street Fighter V, which, you know, still <laughs> is colourful and responsive and awesome. So, yeah, I don't know. Compli complicated in its way. Nick, apart from fighting people in the street and fighting samurais, how's your week been? pretty good. Uh, I've been playing a lot of Dishonored 2. I think I'm at the point where I've had enough, but I haven't stopped playing yet. So <laughs> I'm just logging in and going man, this used to be fun. Why isn't it fun? Maybe if I kill... No, no it doesn't matter how many people I kill. <laughs> <sighs> so I went through the first time uh, and it took me about three weeks. 
never being seen, never killing a person unless I uh, at all, and never disabling a person unless I absolutely had to. Um, and yeah, it took me three weeks and like a hundred thousand save resets. I went through the second time and was like, you know what? I am going to kill everyone. And I finished it that <laughs> evening. So. <laughs> Um, it is yeah. a more difficult way of playing it, yeah. Did yeah, you get yeah. an achievement or something for doing it without killing anyone? Yes, in fact, I got three achievements. Oh, good. At least there's a, yeah. that something. Yep, I got a little little thing on the screen that says, you're worth it. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Right. So uh, this week we're talking about um, 112263 uh, by Stephen King. And as a novel, it's a romance novel masquerading as a time travel novel. Um, it was released in 2011. And it's also a TV series produced by Jar Jar Abrams, and that was released on Hulu or Stan if you're in Australia, or Pirate Bay if you're in Australia. Um, and it's, so, so it's, so it's, it's available it's, for Stan and for, uh, for uh, Hulu, yep. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> There's no but way it, to walk around the government's ban on, on Pirate Bay. Oh gosh, you know you'd have to get a proxy server, all sorts of things. I mean, no, It'd no take you two minutes, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you'd need at least three or four, you know, teenagers to help you. <laughs> it's a poor teenager minimum. That's right. Um, the TV series is a sort of detective show, masquerading as a time travel show. But the basic summary is that a fellow called Jake Epping is sent back in time to prevent JFK from being assassinated. Except he's five years too early, and he's not very good at anything. And he's not really sure that Lee Harvey Oswald really even did it, so he doesn't know how to stop the assassination anyway. So it's him bumbling along, figuring it all out, and the whole time history is like, Oi, you, stop it, slap. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, now... Blue Tongue, I understand you've watched the show but not read the book, and John, I understand you've read the book but not watched the show. So between us, we make one entire commentator, yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah. Well, I've, I've both watched the show and read the book, listened to the book on Audible, who is not a sponsor to this podcast, but should be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Most podcasts are subtle about how they see these things. Oh, no, no. Not us. You, you have not listened yeah. to John Green's one. Like <laughs> he he he's like I'm drinking a diet Dr Pepper right now. If diet Dr Pepper wanted to sponsor me, I would be all for it. Call me now, diet Dr Pepper. Oh. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah and I are mostly through our Suntory whiskey that we bought from uh, Japan. So oh yeah. no, I was wanting to try that again. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, you could ask Suntory. Maybe they might have something to say about. <laughs> I'm sure we have many Japanese listeners. Yeah. Um, anyway, where were we? I think we got distracted um, a little. <laughs> uh, it seems likely. Uh, John, let's start off talking about the book because the book was made first and everyone always knows that the book is better than the movie. <laughs> so, generally, what are your thoughts? So, I think that it's uh, one of Stephen King's long-form books and you kind of... Anyone that uh, likes Stephen King's long-form stuff will like this. Uh, anyone that doesn't like Stephen King's long-form stuff won't like this. Uh, I think that it's a long read. It, and I don't just mean that in the, you know, the sense that it has many pages. In the sense that he takes his time with 
establishing uh, things, with establishing the setup and the premise, and in establishing this world that events take place in. Uh, some people have called this a meandering book for that kind of reason, um, but I'm, I've had the opposite uh, experience too. That I, I think that maybe the meandering helped, um, but you know that, that was my kind of take on it. Reading uh, the thing, how was it listening? to it was that any different to what i've just described uh look there were a couple of times where i was like i don't care move on <laughs> get to the next yeah thing. yeah yeah <laughs> um but i would say 90 percent of it compelling uh, there were times where he dwelt in places and i think that sort of is actually critical to the story in some ways as much as i didn't care <laughs> yeah. like get to the dialogue that's the important bit no yeah. it's like yeah he is five years too early and you know not i mean lee harvey oswald doesn't come back for another two so he's got two years to cool his heels before anything interesting happens to him so it's like well i'm just going to go to this town to complete a side quest essentially and <laughs> um yeah i'll just be here <laughs> very much an RPG feel like that in that uh, respect yeah except you're waiting for a timed event <laughs> it's like oh yeah so... it's a bit of an escort quest yeah. feel actually yeah. and there are these hints along the way of something much greater taking place that does pay off so yeah in, in that respect um, you know I thought the meandering was, was worthwhile but I am a Stephen King fan I have to say, so I don't think this is his best novel. I think it's up there, but yeah, that's the we're talking here about the book. Um, I wonder. I mean, I, I think it was a good decision to make this a TV show rather than a film. I don't think it would have worked nearly as well. I think we even as a TV show, um, a huge portion of the book got cut out. Like a good. I would say third or half of the book just completely cut. In the TV show, he only makes one, uh, he makes two trips to the past instead of the multiple he makes in the book. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting because my, my question was like, okay, if it works, the, the, the whole time travel thing works the way that they've explained where you go back, you make a change, you come back, and as soon as you go back again, it disappears. Um, if that's the case, why not go back and start shooting random people? Come back. Oh, I didn't do anything. <laughs> go back again, etc. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, okay. And that's very well explained in the book. And unfortunately, less so well, well in the show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, it was a period piece um, for the most part. How, how did you feel about that, Bluton? Look, I really love this old-school style of uh, movie-slash-TV presentation. I think I probably, you know, explained that when we were talking about Marvel's... Come on, you're almost there. Mind. You can do it. It's draining. Uh... Jessica Jones? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, Pe Peggy Carter. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Both of those are finances. But uh, yeah, so I really, really love that. Um, 
but I like the way in which this one does it as a contrast of between like the good and the bad of the era. Like it doesn't sort of skip over any of the you know unpleasantness that happened during that kind of time frame. Um, yeah, like <laughs> as soon as there's one particular scene where they crawl into like a roof cavity, I'm like I am not going anywhere near that thing back in the '60s. That stuff is full of asbestos. Those guys are like you know lung cancer. They they're done. They're done. <laughs> yep. It's like. Oh, we're going to actually deal with racism and homophobia and the way, you know, women are treated in this era. Oh, oh, okay. C -c cool. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. especially in the book, no holds barred on that stuff. Yeah, yeah, like, so. oh, this this era is less nice based on some of those things, because that, uh, yeah, they're not pulling any punches. And I actually really like that about it. Like, I, I like my books and novels and stuff like that to have a good sort of st strong element of realism. Uh, to a certain extent. <laughs> like, I'm okay with some sort of, you know, crazy notion of time travel, uh, but uh, something more, you know, down-to-earth stuff like that. It needs to be the right environment for it. Yeah. Yeah. How did you feel about it, Bookside? Look, uh, I guess where I'm coming from is I like the TV show as its own thing. It was great. It was fun. Um as I said, it focused a bit more on the detectiveness of figuring out the whole Lee Harvey Oswald conspiracy rather than the love story between George and um, Ms. Spoiler. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, look, uh, that was fine. Uh, they were very different things, though. Uh, they were ostensibly the same thing, and but, no, they were really quite different in terms of the things they tackled. I like the way James Franco played his character, um, but it wasn't the same character that in the book. He wasn't as, um, I guess, wistful or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he wasn't as wistful and whimsical and reflective as uh, George Amberson was in the book. and But James Amberson in the show was, you know... Uh, a bit bland, really. Okay. So, mm. yeah. Uh, look, I, I quite enjoyed it, though. I, I loved the madman-style um, dress. You know, it was cool. They did. They obviously put money into the, uh, the, the, the wardrobe and the production of it, which was yeah. great. And especially when you've got Stephen King and J.J. Abrams uh, producing, you know, that's... It's pretty reasonable. You'd expect uh, King to put the care he ha he's put into the book, into the TV show as well. And I understand why he's made the changes he has. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Um, should we talk about the time travel? Okay. Let's do that. Okay. I love it. Man, it was great. So essentially what you're looking at is that there are periods of time that are sort of connected through a place. So, uh, uh, what's his real name? Jake. Jake Epping, the main character, um, has a mate who's a um, diner owner, and his back pantry is a portal to 1958. And the way the diner owner has been using it is to go back in time and buy meat cheap <laughs> so that he can run his diner at a profit. <laughs> you know, occasionally he goes on holidays. And whenever he wants to come back to the present, he just goes to this particular uh, place in 1958, 
and gets transported back through the pantry and no time has passed. If he goes back again, everything resets. All the changes he's made in the past reset. So he goes back and he buys the same meat again and brings it back to the future. So, (laughs) yeah. Um, But if you do make... If you do make a change and you don't go back, it will stick. So there are a couple of times where he'll go back and he'll, you know, carve his name into a tree and then he'll come back to the present. It's still there. Go back to the past again, come back. It's gone. So it's interesting in that way. Mm. Yeah. However, so with the scenario that I I put out before, uh, okay, let's say you want to make a larger change. um, What's to stop you from going back to to do that? Well, nothing. Okay. Unless we're going to get into real spoiler territory. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and we never do that. <laughs> well, I think this is your your official spoiler warning. Uh, if you go back and say, stop JFK getting assassinated, you mess up the entire planet because big changes <laughs> have big consequences. Mm-hmm. And uh, after killing JFK everything just went to crap because it was such a big disruption and because JFK was an influential person and had many flow-on effects, time broke. Um, As Harrow said, um, time is a machine which you can break. So, yeah, uh, if you mess mess up too much, you'll cause problems in the future. So he actually comes back to the present, which I think is like 2016 or 2013 or 15 or something. Mm. Anyway, the teens. Um, uh, and like the second he killed, he stopped JFK being killed, there were earthquakes and problems and shit all over the world. It was as if the fabric of space itself was just being torn apart. Okay. And then I assume he has to go back to try and, you know, undo his five years effort to stop JFK being shot? Yep. <laughs> cool. <laughs> okay. And, he's, and then he's suddenly five years older. How's that? Sucks wow. to be him. <laughs> <laughs> so, not only do you know that you are then... I mean, yeah, you unscrewed reality, you made reality safe again, but you also effectively killed JFK, and by the way, you're older and fatter than you were before you came through that portal. Yeah. Doesn't exactly get the hero's win at the end of the piece, does he? No. Uh, I would say this is actually probably closest to the classic Greek tragedy, um, where the hero is uh, initially given uh, a flaw, and the whole journey he goes on is to teach him the lesson about that flaw. So, yeah. and the lesson he learns is that you've got to be happy with what you got because you can't change it, so suck it up. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, sounds a pretty harsh lesson. <laughs> yep. It was a cost him five years of his life. <laughs> it was a little sweet part at the end of the book, though. But yeah, we won't go total spoiler warning uh, ter- spoiler territory here. But um, certainly... If you look at it from that time is a machine, machines can be broken um, angle, then sure, yeah, uh, I get that. But 
In terms of the way that they explained the timeline and how certain events led into other events, yeah, just that wasn't for me the strongest part of the story. I don't necessarily buy that, you know, if JFK uh, had not su had survived, uh, rather that Canada would end up owning Chicago. But yeah, am I the only one who found that? Uh, look, I, I thought it was weird the way um, King rewrote the history of the place. But I think it, you know, it I, I'm happy to accept the contrivance that, you know, when you, that, that history is on rails and if you take it off the rails, the train falls apart. Hmm. I mean, I don't particularly think, yeah, I don't think the States are going to join up with Canada anytime soon. <laughs> maybe California, but you know. Yeah, maybe California. Actually, it's a little bit like um, kind of the, the, the timeline that established what happens if JFK survives is a little bit like our own now that uh, Trump is in. But um, look, I, I did find that d despite that contrivance that the, the hints that are there uh, that what he's doing is against the grain and that time's trying to fix itself. Uh, in the book, they came across very strongly. They were uh, they were one of the best, better parts of his writing and he's playing a long game, I thought. Hmm. No, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. Sorry. I'm trying to think of how that's presented in the TV show. So, the 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 major the major sort of reference to this stuff that happens in the TV show is an incident near the start of after he's gone back in time, and he tries to call his father, and he gets connected, and then time like warps the call to prevent him actually talking to him. And then crashes a car into his into his phone booth that he's standing in. And then the woman who gets killed uh, in that car accident talks to him as a corpse. It's like, wow, wow. <laughs> yeah, um, particularly in the book um, and a little bit in the TV show, the past having, um, or the I guess the... Uh, destiny or fate or you know the right journey of history or whatever it is is a a real personality it you know it it's it does stuff to mess up jake every time he tries to do something mm -hmm. yeah yep like yeah i got that just like yeah i i'm currently about halfway through the tv series and i got that distinct impression as well as as you're going along through it it's Okay, so like talking about the actual TV series itself, um, were you guys happy with like the characters and how it was presented? Do you feel like it was a a good foundation for those like, for that exploration? Sean, I'll let you answer first. <laughs> having not seen the TV show, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> having not seen the TV show, I was, I was just absolutely outraged with it. <laughs> Handling. Look, um, I will say this. I will say this. Uh, one reason that King is one of the major producers of this show and probably uh, quite close at hand uh, for the whole thing is that he was not happy with some of his earlier, some of the results when when some of his earlier products were made into movies. Uh, so despite everyone loving it, he actually really hated 
the way that Stanley Kubrick adapted. I was going to say Pet Cemetery, but uh, I can't the remember. Shining? The, the Shining. Thank you. So yeah, um, I, I'm sure that he was there to ensure that this, you know, that this uh, adaptation was uh, handled in a way that he would like. But uh, Nick, having actually seen the show and read the book, what was your take on that? Oh, look, they're certainly different, but neither of them stood out as being the better one. Uh, except, you know, the book is always better. But the TV show wasn't... I, I didn't walk away from it going, man, the things they cut out were, you know, essential. They just shifted the focus okay. more than... Yeah. yeah. Where it's like the transition from The Martian from a book to a film. I was like, yeah, there were some really good bits that they cut out, and I feel like they lost a lot of the story by doing that. Mm. I, I don't feel feel like much of the story was lost, just the focus was shifted. And yeah, well, I was okay with it. It was good. It was fine. Uh, I prefer the book, but um, it's, you know, not my favourite book ever. And, you know, I enjoyed the series, but it's also not my favourite series ever. So, yeah. yeah. It's like, about the same. You, you said before that, like, the, the book tended to meander a bit and didn't get straight to the point... Of very in various sections, like you just wish you'd you know start the next bit. Um, so does the TV show lose an element of that, or just you know for for what it gains in punchiness, it sort of loses in other areas? Yeah, what it lost was that I guess his investment in time, and because we don't really see him age five years, we don't see that you know he was there in 1958 and he had to wait until 63 in order to actually go. Oh, JFK did you know get shot by Lee Harvey Oswald, and I did stop it. It's me. I'm cool. Mm. Um, <laughs> James Franco doesn't walk out of that um, pantry looking five years older. Mm. He, he looks the same as he started at the TV beginning of the series because they didn't film it over five years. <laughs> Yeah, Lessons bastards. you could learn from J.K. Rowling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Or, uh, you know, I was going to say, you know, uh, George Boy, Lucas, but yeah, George Lucas didn't really plan any of that. But uh, I don't know. If they got like a really, really young Hayden Christensen, and <laughs> I'm a pilot, you know, and one day I'm going to fly away from here. I don't like sand. <laughs> you know, that might have come across a bit better. Of course. This I'm is hard, why, uh, and I'm so teen angsty. That's why we don't have any sponsors on the show. We make fun of everything. <laughs> well, okay. So, Stephen King books. There's usually a sequel. There's often a sequel. Often a needless sequel. Like, Pet Cemetery was done. You didn't need a Pet Cemetery 2. Um, uh, the Mercedes Man was done. You didn't need End of Watch. Sequels are bad, man. <laughs> so, what do you want from the inevitable sequel? <laughs> <laughs> I like how we've, we've gotten past this whole uh, uh, kind of... <laughs> will there be one? Will there not? Uh, so, you mean a part happening. Okay, apart from do not exist, that's not an option? Well, no, yeah, okay. I can't, I don't think you can answer the question, what do you want from the inevitable sequel, if you say okay, yeah, null. Not to exist. Okay, <laughs> here, here's, here's my response to that. The way that um, this whole, in the book, the way that this uh, property comes about is that Stephen King kind of, he has this idea, 
and then he mines another idea from one of his other books. So you see characters from It show up, and it's established that the events of It, his uh, book that's going to be adapted into another movie again very soon, uh, are interconnected with the events in this, in, in the events of uh, this book later TV show. So what I would like to see is that approach again to whatever comes next. Um, it doesn't have to follow very much the same lines and even the same plot, but just have this character even running around in the background, you know, establish that all of these awful Stephen King things happen in the same Stephen King universe. That's my non-answer to the question. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, there was also a point, uh, I believe, in... Oh, my goodness, I can't remember the name of the city. Jersey? Was was that where, Steve, uh, where JFK was killed? Dallas, uh, Texas. JFK Dallas. Yeah, in Dallas, yeah. Dallas, Texas, yeah. yeah. Sorry, not Jersey. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> As if anything important would happen there. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, no, but there was a uh, a point where he looked at the book depository and thought, sorry, the book suppository, and, uh, <laughs> and thought that, um, oh, you know, this place is an evil place. Yeah. And he had an overwhelming uh, sense of malevolence and malice radiate from the building. And that sort of seemed to feel a bit like The Shining or a little bit like Pet Cemetery to me as well. So it, it seems consistent with the lore, I guess, of the, of the universe. Um, I think it would be cool if we had something that tied in with this but was different. That could be cool. I'd, re- I'd really like to see um, a, a, a sci-fi novel that explores the time travel a lot more and we see the other side of this because there's a spoilers a time cop essentially trapped at the um, node where you travel between past and present and he's like oi you stop mucking around in the past and uh, Jake is like no fuck you Um, (laughs) well actually that's what the the second uh, decidedly less Jean-Claude Van Damme time cop is like uh, there is also another time cop that appears that's already been worn down and is quite nuts by this point. He was an interesting little hint, I thought. Yeah, but... he's got a bit more Mel Gibson uh, time. <laughs> <cop>. <laughs> um, you know, and he's like, you know, got the effects of time radiation, I guess. So he's a bit bananas and is just like, oh, I know something's bad. I know I've got a job to do, but go away. Yeah. Jake's like, yeah, okay, I'm just going to go over here and mess with time, if that's cool with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. But I'd love to see, you know, from, I don't know, 2832 or something, when the Time Police Institution is made, or <laughs> whatever, um, how they see the effects of buying, you know, meat in 1958 and then transporting it to 2013. You know, what, do, what effect does that have? Yeah. Oh, you know, <laughs> Dallas explodes. Cool. <laughs> Let's go back and give this guy cancer. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, it might have something to do with all the smoking and asbestos he was eating, so... Yeah. <laughs> I, maybe another way that they could approach the whole thing. You know the diner that, uh, whereby the owner used to go back and get the meat and bring it back in the present? You could have a show similar to Cheers, where the, all the events take place within that diner. And it could be called Time Travel Diner. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, nice, nice. Ha- have no actual time travel in the show. Just have it hinted at that he's just ducking out behind the, uh, you know, behind the fridge. He'll be back in a few years or, or a minute, a minute. It could be cool, except um, maybe the diner actually exists, you know, in 2013, but you have a guy who repeatedly comes there from 1958 and a guy who comes there from 1982 and a guy who comes there from 2054 and they're all just drinking at Time Travel Diner. <laughs> at the same time? I don't know. That... <laughs> all right. So what, what I wanted to see or what, what I would like to see in terms of like a sequel for this um, is something along the lines of uh, the story of the secondary characters, um, the characters who have been like indirectly influenced by all the bits and pieces that have happened, and see how they develop into the future um, based on the changes that he made. Does that make sense? Well, no, because he doesn't... In the end, he raises all of his changes. Yes, he does, but... In order for those, in order for him to erase them, he needs like they need to have sort of you know follow through, if that makes sense. So we're still existing in that reality where those tech changes have been made, and you know how those people go on to live with that with those changes and what bits and pieces have happened. Oh, so something that would be running parallel to the events of. Um, I'm sorry, I always get. Uh, thrown when I have to set a title of this because it's in the the American order, but parallel to the events of that novel anyway. Mm. Yeah, pretty oh, much. You mean the novel 2211-63? Yeah, 2211 <laughs> or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah, like that's basically what <laughs> how I'd like to see it relived. Um, Although I do like your idea about, you know, the time cops going back to go crazy and stuff like that. It does sound entertaining. Cool. All right. So obviously we've got all the Stephen King novels that we can equate roughly to being along this style. Um, can you guys think of any other books that... Time cop! <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, look, Batman, as previously mentioned, just cause, uh, because of the aesthetic... Not so yeah. much because of the time travel or the love or the detectiveness, just the aesthetic. Yep, and Peggy Carter goes along those sort of themes as well. Yeah, so, um, look, certainly the time travel thing has been quite well done a bunch of times, but I'd say, uh, look, look, one that has uh, a little bit to do with it, uh, I don't know, for some reason, X-Men Days of Future Past comes into mind. I, I like has has the time travel thing been done in an, a way that m- felt more pointless than this one though. Huh. Uh, days of Future Past. Although, <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, spoiler warning for uh, anyone that didn't listen to our Days of Future Past podcast, which I don't believe existed at the time. But um, yeah, basically, in Days of Future Past, they actually do fix the future and somewhat try to fix the convoluted X-Men movies timeline, though that might explain a little bit as to why it's so messed up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I stopped trying to understand all of what was going on with that timeline ages ago. <laughs> yeah, I think it's best to look at each X-Men movie in isolation and pretend that the other movies don't exist. 
because yeah. there is no coherent story. <laughs> and there are different reasons for that, but part of it was wanting to undo the awful mess that was the third X-Men movie, and they managed to do that, so yeah. Uh, I'm not sure that they did. <laughs> I think they created the awful mess that was the fifth X-Men movie. <laughs> Any other suggestions, guys? Yeah, just uh, when it comes to Stephen King, uh, there was another book of his that dealt in similar-ish kinds of themes, uh, along the lines uh, of uh, going from one fantasy world to another, but whereupon entering one fantasy world, you change the events in the other. Um, that oh, was... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, uh, think of it as a dark take on Narnia, really. Uh, it was called The Talisman, which he co-wrote uh, back in the 1980s, and I started reading that one at the beginning of high school, never quite finished it. But yeah, I would definitely suggest um, The Talisman, uh, co-written, I believe, with Peter Straub. Um, yeah, as far as other Stephen King books go, uh, it obviously has a direct connection uh, to this book and the same kinds of characters and events uh, sort of take place in uh, 112263 uh, yes yeah, so you see it, two of the characters from it and they even refer to the storylines they even refer to the major villain from it being in this world so something else to check out uh, as far as backgrounding this for sure cool thanks for joining us this week we hope you've enjoyed yourselves as much as we had you can catch us on twitter at wellplayedau we never tweet <laughs> we occasionally tweet. Um, you can send us questions, comments, or abuse at wellplayedau at gmail.com. We would love to ignore your email. And if you can send us a five-star review on iTunes or a like on YouTube or whatever it is on whatever platform you're using, blah, 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 beg for subscribes, beg, beg. Um, <laughs> if you enjoyed the music for this podcast, you can take a look at Cloud Control on iTunes or YouTube or at your local JB Hi-Fi. Pick up one of their albums. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thanks. Please sponsor us, JB Hi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs>